This is a Tech Briefs Media Group podcast. Hello and welcome to another Who's Who at NASA podcast. On September 8th, NASA launched OSIRIS-REx. This probe will spend two years in space chasing down an asteroid known as Bennu. In this month's podcast, project scientist Jason Dworkin explains how discoveries from the mission could help scientists understand clues to the origins of life. To set the stage, so to speak, uh, the OSIRIS-REx space probe uh, will be spending two years uh, going through space to catch an asteroid. Uh, What will we learn uh, from this mission? The OSIRIS-REx mission, as you as you said, uh, spends two years catching up to asteroid Bennu, uh, rendezvous starting in 2018, and we're getting uh, progressively closer to the asteroid to learn more and more about uh, the asteroid uh, shape and spectra so we can pick the safest and uh, most interesting, most exciting uh, site to sample from and bring that sample back to Earth uh, September 2023. Uh, the sample will contain clues to the formation of the solar system and possible formation of life on Earth or even Mars, Enceladus, and Europa or elsewhere. And you mentioned selecting the sample site. How does that selection, how will that selection work? Well, we, as we, we uh, orbit and maneuver around this small object, about half a kilometer across, uh, we'll be generating four different maps. These maps are first the safety map to make sure that when we sample, we sample from a location in the asteroid that does not put our spacecraft in jeopardy because a sample that can't return to Earth is no use to anyone. Uh-huh. Uh, next, we, uh, we have a, a map to, to call the um, deliverability map to make sure that we can get the spacecraft to that sampling site. There are a few different orientations where uh, the, the, we need to make sure that the, uh, uh, the antennas are pointed at the Earth, the solar rays are pointed at the sun, and that make sure that we can also uh, sample in that orientation. Uh, so there, that'll be a, a map to make sure of a few exclusion zones. After that is the um, uh, sampleability map. That is to make sure that we can be in an area of abundant regolith to ingest uh, and, and collect in two centimeter size rocks or smaller. Uh, we can pick up. We have ample evidence from ground-based uh, uh, observations that these uh, this size fraction is abundant. But we need to, to pick the one that is uh, the best for us to sample. And then after that, uh, we'll develop a science map, a science value map, to find the areas that have the most compelling science. Any sample we get will be exciting and groundbreaking. But uh, the difference between super exciting and amazingly exciting is something that the science team will get to debate over about that map. Uh-huh. So you, you select your sample. How do you then uh, collect it? Uh, we do several rehearsals, and once we're confident, uh, the spacecraft slowly descends with the TAXAM arm. Uh, that's uh, the, the 10-foot-long pogo stick with the old car air filter on the end. Uh-huh. Uh, the design. Uh, we, we slowly descend uh, at... Uh, less than or about 10 centimeters per second, which is sort of the speed that uh, your average baby can crawl with the helps. Uh-huh. Uh, very slow. Um, and we touch the surface for uh, no more than five seconds. During that time, at contact, 
uh, we blow um, a pyro valve that releases a jet of nitrogen gas from uh, a canister that we have. That jet of nitrogen gas goes through an, uh, an annulus, goes through a ring on the, uh, on the sample of the taxan head, and that stirs up and uh, we, what, we think, what we call fluidizes, that is, mixes up and mobilizes the regolith, that is the stones, rocks, and dust. Uh, that's on the surface of Bennu, and that gets thrown into this air filter-like device and locked inside a check valve. Uh, and then we um, fire our thrusters, move to a safe distance, do an inertial measurement to make to measure how much material we have, take images of it to, to see that we've collected, and then stow uh, the sample in the tag sam. Sorry, in the temperature capsule that is the SRC. Step with the tag sam head and return it to Earth. And you right. So, how long is the time between sample acquisition and then sample return to Earth? Uh, it depends on exactly when we sample, but in the order of, of two, two and a half, two years. Uh huh. And, and why Bennu? Why this asteroid? So there are about seven hundred thousand asteroids, and of those, there are um, five thousand or so that are um, near Earth asteroids that we could have a chance of getting to. Um, if you then look at the, uh, uh, based on the inclination, the distance, of those there were um, uh, 120 some uh, that are larger than 200 meters, and that's a critical size. Because below 200 meters, the asteroids tend to spin up very fast, mm -hmm. where a day can be even as short as a minute. And that has two consequences. One is that throws off loose regolith, the, the very stuff we want to capture, can get ejected by something spinning that, that quickly. And also, if you can imagine uh, maneuvering a spacecraft around an object spinning at one revolution per minute is a, is a huge challenge and risk. And so we throw away those objects, and that left us with um, uh, five that have, have spectra that indicate that it's uh, an ancient, unaltered, uh, carbon-rich material. And of those, Bennu was the object that was, that was the best characterized uh, with uh, extensive ground and space-based observations uh, from radar down to, uh, to infrared. So then how do you go about catching Bennu? What kinds of maneuvers are, are needed and what kinds of technology enable you to zero in on that asteroid? We get most of our thrust from our launch vehicle. So it's an Atlas V 411, and that gives us the... Uh, uh, on uh, escape trajectory from the Earth. In general, we do a deep space maneuver that helps us line up and catch up to the asteroid. Uh, one year after launch, uh, we do an Earth gravity assist, and that gives us the six degree inclination plane change to put us on the same plane as the asteroid. And then once we catch up, we do a braking maneuver to, to start encountering the asteroid. This is all done with monoprop hydrogen thrusters, uh, on, uh, other than, of course, the launch vehicle on the spacecraft. If you, if you wish, old-fashioned monoprop. Uh, and once we're around the asteroid, uh, the gravity of the asteroid is so small that the maneuvers are centimeters per second. Uh -huh. So very small thrusters are required. We don't even use the main engines. Uh, we just we have an array of, of, of tiny and then even tinier thrusters uh, to do these maneuvers on the asteroid. And so the launch will be this Thursday, is that right? That is the opening of our launch window. That's correct. 7.05 p.m. Eastern. Great. And can you take us through uh, what that will be like and anything that we haven't spoken about, about what is being launched and kind of even what this spacecraft looks like? 
Well, the, the spacecraft you know, looks very similar to the Maven spacecraft, if you're familiar with that one. But the solar rays aren't quite as big because we're not going nearly as far as Mars. Uh-huh. We, but on top, we have a sample return capsule, uh, an array of instruments uh, from, with a suite of cameras from the University of Arizona called OCAMS. Uh, we have uh, in two, in two different kinds of infrared uh, spectrometers. Uh, one is from Arizona State University, that's called OTIS, and that'll give us uh, thermal information from the asteroid as well as grain size. Uh, <clears throat> and we also have the OCAM, the um, OVARES instrument from NASA Goddard, uh, which will give us some mineralogy as well as organic information. Between those two spectrometers, we cover from 0.4 to 50 microns. Uh, we have the uh, Canadian-contributed um, CSA instruments uh, called OVA, which is a, um, a LIDAR system that will give us our range of the asteroid and help us figure out the topography of the, of the surface, as well as the cameras uh, in, in conjunction. We also have a student experiment, which was built by students uh, at um, Harvard and MIT, which is an X-ray uh, imaging uh, spectrometer, which will help us understand the uh, uh, the elemental composition of the, of the top layers of the regolith. Um, we're on top of, like I said, an Atlas V-411. Uh, the spacecraft has been uh, meticulously cleaned, mm -hmm. and the material is well understood. We have an extensive archive to understand the construction materials and lubricants, uh, and all the things you need to build a spacecraft. So we can take these materials and arm um, future generations, future us, if you will, as well as scientists not yet born, using instruments um, so that they can compare with their instruments in their laboratory with a sample and with spacecraft materials and witnesses that were uh, uh, observed, uh, I should say, uh, uh, material witnesses that were chemically observing the construction environment of the spacecraft, as well as similar witnesses that are flying on the spacecraft that will come back. Together, uh, uh, these scientists, some of them being us, some of them, as I said, unborn, uh, can then compare uh, what we bring back from Bennu uh, with what we have built the spacecraft out of and, and know uh, unquestionably if the discoveries are, are real from Bennu or false information from Earth. Now, this is such a, a complex uh, mission with so many just complex maneuvers and things that need to be done. What do you think is most difficult about the mission? As in, in pretty much every mission, the most difficult part is communication. Uh huh. I had to learn how to speak with engineers. Uh, engineers had to learn how to speak with me. I had to, to learn how to communicate with managers and, and vice versa. Uh, as project scientists, my job is to sit between uh, the scientists, the managers, and the engineers. Uh, to basically explain to the scientists why what they want is, is not possible within budget and engineering technology, explain to the scientists, explain to the engineers why what they want to change uh, will destroy the science, and explain to the managers that uh, certain people are burning out. Uh, and so it's, it's all about communication to understand the different cultures, the different environments, and the assumptions. Uh, the, the, the learning the culture of Lockheed Martin versus NASA Goddard versus the University of Arizona uh, and helping to facilitate that communication um, is, is the hardest part of this mission and really every mission. This is not unique to us. Mm -hmm. 
it, a common saying I've heard is engineering is easy, communication is hard. Sure, sure. And, and as this mission takes off on Thursday, what will your sort of day-to-day work be uh, related to, to, to the mission? So I've been mostly focused on getting the rocket, uh, getting the spacecraft built and launched. And so I, want, I need to make a personal transition to learning how to fly the spacecraft. Uh, my focus has been on making sure the spacecraft is clean and well understood. And so a lot of that work will go into hiatus until, uh, until it becomes relevant when we start analyzing the samples. So I'll be assisting uh, the, the navigators and assisting the, um, the engineers in understanding what the spacecraft can do and how we can maximize our science and stay within and you mentioned the collaboration between different teams. Can you quickly talk about uh, each team's contribution uh, to the mission? Well, I mentioned quickly all of the instruments and their contributions. Uh, NASA Goddard is, uh, the, is the managing institution, uh, provided uh, the uh, uh, safety mission assurance work, as I said, the um, uh, project management, Project Science, the Olvier's Instruments, uh, Navigation Lead. Um, I think that's most of it. Uh, uh, budgetary Control. Um, uh, Marshall Space Flight Center is also uh, Budgetary Oversight at the New Frontier uh, Project Office, together with NASA Headquarters. Um, and of course, the University of Arizona provides the scientific leadership with the PI, Professor Dante Loretta, and his team, as well as, as providing the OVIRS, the um, uh, OCAMS instrument suite. Um, we have a team in, in Canada who work with us to provide the Canadian uh, and MDA uh, uh, OLA instruments. Uh, Kinetics is uh, partnering with us on navigation through NASA Goddard. Uh, and of course, Lockheed Martin built the uh, the spacecraft uh, and uh, and designed and tested the the spacecraft and the Tag Sam sampling system. Uh, we have an uh, international science team that has helped us understand Bennu and to, to uh, uh, make it the best understand understood um, uh, asteroid that's never been visited by a spacecraft. Uh, this is all now published, uh, and we can read it and understand and learn from us. Um, it's, it's been hundreds of people and numerous organizations, uh, and ULA provide the rockets, Kennedy Space Flight Center and um, uh, uh, um, Long Services uh, Interface, uh, so many partners and so many lifelong friends. That's great. And just a couple more questions. Uh, can you quickly run through for me the, the time frame? So the the uh, projected time frame from the launch to uh, go meeting up with the asteroid to returning home. Okay, I, I, so we uh, launch as early as Thursday, 7.05 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, within two hours, we have um, uh, ejected the Centaur, uh, opened up the solar arrays, uh, and have comm signal with, with Can- uh, Canberra uh, Deep, Space, Deep Space Network. Mm-hmm. Um, two weeks after that, we test the instruments. And then uh, in January, we do a Deep Space Maneuver to help us catch up with Bennu. 
Uh, next September, uh, we do the Earth Gravity Assist to put on the same uh, plane as Bennu. And then the following, uh, following July, uh, we catch up with Bennu and have our first images, uh, first as a pixel and then getting ever closer and closer. As we map it over two years, we have a schedule for this, but we have lots of margin built in because we're exploring the unknown. This is an unknown world, and we can be surprised. We have lots and lots of time to study meticulously and slowly and carefully and repeat steps as we need before we can uh, be ready to sample uh, in July of 2020. We then depart the asteroid in March of 2021. Um, that's our, our first opportunity to depart. We couldn't depart later if we had to, and so come back both, both occasions to uh, Utah Test and Training Range the morning of um, September 24th, 2023. Uh, after that, the science team, the, 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 um, the temperature capsule will be brought to NASA Johnson Space Center uh, to be uh, uh, cataloged within the first six months and distributed to the science team and then to the world for generations to come. Uh, as the temperature capsule is separated from, from the spacecraft, the spacecraft goes into orbit around the sun, uh, where it's an asset the NASA can choose to use if it, if it wishes. And finally, what is most exciting to you about this mission? Um, getting clues to the origin of life is a lifelong passion for me. And so uh, getting a sample that is constrained by its location on a specific object uh, into a laboratory in a pristine state that can help me understand the origin of life, the origin of chirality, uh, the ingredients available for life to form on Earth or even Mars, Europa, or Enceladus is a passion of mine.